We may have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of what was a being and a person to know that was once in Christ, and now he has given to us that we are now tabernacles for him. But as people, I would still say that it's important to still go through seasons of hardship, of grieving, of suffering, of doubt, to go through spiritual apathy. And that's okay, because spiritual supernatural power and hardships can coexist in a community. Because we're talking about a relationship with a person, a being, the Holy Spirit. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, everyone. You guys look so good. How are we feeling tonight? Yeah? Yeah, you don't sound very happy. How are we doing tonight? Yeah? Feeling good? That was so fun getting to know Gus a little bit. And I'm so glad it's not just my face popping up there. We have a whole community of people now on there. It makes me so happy. Um, so, Welcome everyone to Praxis Night Church. My name is Kelly and I'm one of the leaders here, but also fun fact, I get to be an intern pastor here. It has been such an honor and a blessing to be here and it is truly a privilege to be here on stage to just share a little bit of a, a word that I have tonight. But before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful evening that we have to rest to commune, to Sabbath. And Lord, I pray for the next 20 to 25 minutes that you guide my words, that whatever I say, Lord, is what you want these people to hear, and that I'm a vessel. Heavenly Father, thank you for the end of a beautiful week, and I pray that for the next few moments that you speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So when Philip asked what I wanted to speak for for the next two weeks, I honestly didn't really know what to say because my mind just kind of went blank. Um, and I just remember looking back to my past year of the sermons that I've heard that have really impacted my life. And one of the th sermons that I heard was from Bridgetown Church in Portland. I don't know if anyone else has heard of that church. Um, they have a really great church out in Portland, and it was on the Holy Spirit. And it kind of changed my whole outlook on what the Holy Spirit was. And it really impressed me. And I sent the podcast to everyone that I knew. And so instead of just sending you guys all the podcasts tonight, I figured I would kind of share what my experience with the Holy Spirit has been and the experiences of others as well. And so this week, I asked a few of my close friends, hey, what is your experience with the Holy Spirit? And that's kind of a deep question that you ask your friends. You're like, 
hey, um, what's, what, like, how are you doing? What's your experience with the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a deep question. And so I also added it on my Instagram. And so I got a, really, a few really fun responses. And so I'm going to read some of them aloud here. And don't worry, they're all anonymous. So the first one was IDK. The second one was comfort. Another one was a piece of my favorite person that I get to carry within me. Another one was, Holy Spirit is when I feel guilty eating too many beignets from Disneyland. <laughs> one was, guider, teacher, protector, comforter. Another one was, the goodness of God in us. Another one was, the emotional, maternal side of Trinity. A master guide who prompts you to follow your passions, live a healthy life, and bless others. I love this one. My relationship with the Holy Spirit is something that I don't consider to be separate from my relationship with the Father or the Son. When I feel closeness to God, I assume that comes from the Spirit being close. And like the Father and the Son, she is an equal part of the Trinity and also the one who is most often near us. Amen. And this is one of my other favorites, the female of the Trinity. She guides, comforts, pricks your conscience when you're going down a path that isn't for your health, happiness, and safety. She was given to us when Jesus left as an extension of his loving presence to us always. The Spirit's work is imperceptible, and she does the work in us of growth and healing that we could not do for ourselves. The Holy Spirit isn't this nagging voice of guilt that keeps me from the pleasures I want in life. Instead, she is the loving voice that is always with me and that I've learned to trust. In many ways, her voice is my own, and she teaches me to also love the things that are actually good for me. Isn't that beautiful? So what is the Holy Spirit to you? What are your experiences with the Holy Spirit? And I think it's rather an interesting question because many of us would probably rather spend an hour sitting with Jesus in the flesh than having the Holy Spirit. Anyone? Like, wouldn't you rather even more rather sit with God the Father? I mean, we probably couldn't see his face because we would like melt and burn. But imagine if we could sit with God the Father and just talk to him for an hour or more. I think I would possibly ask him some really good questions like, where did the dinosaurs go? Or like, why couldn't you have made me just a little bit taller? So we know of the Trinity, right? We know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is something that is always a little bit of an enigma, like a mysterious addition to the friend group, that one person in the friend group that everyone's like, I don't really understand them, but like they're part of the friend group, and so we include them. <laughs> There's a book that I love called The Road, and it's by Marcus Torres. It's actually this beautiful baptismal Bible study guide that we use here at Praxis. And there's something that he talks about, about the Trinity. He says, the Bible introduces God as a community, not a singular being. It shows that God is indeed the essence of selfless love. He has existed as a triune being for all eternity and all eternal relationship of agape or unconditional love. And he has always been in relationship. He has always given and received love. Before anything else was created, the Father, Son, and Spirit lived in an eternal relationship of reciprocal love. The Father gave to the Son, the Son gave to the Spirit, and vice versa. And so God is a social unit who has lived in eternal and other-centeredness, giving and receiving love. 
And Timothy Keller, one of my favorite authors, also says that the Christian teaching of the Trinity is mysterious and cognitively challenging. I have to heartedly amen to that. The doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one God, eternally existent, and three persons. That's tritheism. It's not tritheism with three gods who work in harmony, nor is it unipersonalism, the notion that sometimes God takes one form and sometimes he takes another, but that these are simply different manifestations of one God. Instead, Trinitarianism holds that there is one God and three persons who know and love one another. God is not more fundamentally one than he is three, and he is not fundamentally three than he is one. I think a lot of us already kind of know this. That's kind of like the basis. So knowing this, if I were to ask you, is the Holy Spirit a force or a person to know, what would you say? We've heard classic hymns of the Holy Ghost, right? And you're like thinking, Holy Ghost, it's like a force. And then you also hear of verses on the day of Pentecost that can sound kind of confusing. We have Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, and I'm going to be going through a lot of different verses, and so thankfully the media guys will have these verses on the screen, I'm pretty sure. Okay, there we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you read these verses and you're like, something's filling you, you know? And so you sound kind of confused. Like, it sounds like the Holy Spirit is a force. It sounds like it can fill your body. So it's not another being, but like, what do the scriptures really say? So right now we're going to drop into the beginning of time and creation, and we're going to notice where the Holy Spirit has been and how it has been present from the beginning of time until today. So the Holy Spirit was even present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's beautiful, isn't it? Thinking that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Now we're going to look into Mark 1, chapter 9 to 11. And here we're going to see that in the Gospels, we see a similar description. And this is a story of when Jesus was baptized. And so at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. I'm going to read a a little excerpt from one of my favorite books by Timothy Keller called Jesus the King. And I just want you to notice a little bit about the word, the spirit of God. For the Spirit of God to be pictured as a dove is not particularly striking to us, 
But when Mark was writing, it was very rare. In the sacred writings of Judaism, there's only one place where the Spirit of God is likened to a dove, and that is in the Targums, the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scripture that the Jews of Mark's time read. In the creation account, the book of Genesis 1-2 said that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. The Hebrew verb here means to flutter. The Spirit fluttered over the face of the waters. To capture this vivid image, the rabbis translated the passage for the Targums like this. And the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove, and God spoke, let there be light. This is so beautiful. There are three parties active in the creation of the world, God, God's spirit, and God's word through which he creates. The same three parties are now present at Jesus' baptism. The Father, who is a voice, the Son, who is the word, and the spirit fluttering like a dove. Mark is deliberately pointing us back to the creation of the world and the beginning of history. Just as the original creation of the world was a project of the triune God, Mark says, so the redemption of the world, the rescue and renewal of all things that is beginning now with the arrival of the King Jesus is also a project of the triune God. When I read this, I was like, that is so beautiful. Timothy Keller, you are a genius. So here we see... The Trinity is present since the beginning of time. Dating back to creation, as we know, it now resides among us today. But is the Spirit a force to reckon with or a being to know? In John 2.19, this is where Jesus is talking to some Jewish leaders. And Jesus answered to them and said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, this is like offensively, they're like, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple that Jesus was speaking about was of his body. So Jesus is talking about his body and yet the priests are talking about something that is a physical or tabernacle, a physical container for the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus is saying that he is talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is saying that he is making a container for God's presence, a tabernacle that will reside within him. What he is building in three days is a replacement for what the priests have been building this entire time. I also love in John 20, to verse 21 to 23, here, This is when um, Jesus has resurrected, and he is now approaching and with among his disciples for the first time. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, I don't know if this is crazy to you guys, but Jesus is literally saying, if you want to forgive someone, you are now able to forgive someone's sins. And in the past, this was something that only God could do in the utmost and absolute sacred space. This is something that 
people could not, ordinary people could not do. And this is why so many stories in the gospel where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the Jewish leaders of the day were so offended because only God could do that. And yet this is the first message that Jesus shared when he resurrected. And I love what Taylor Statton says. He says, people should experience God's forgiveness by proximity to you because you are now a temple carrying his presence wherever you go. Think about it. Jesus died, and when he, he was raised again, he said, this being that has resided in me, I am now giving to you. And so people should experience God's forgiveness by proximity to you because you are now a temple carrying his presence wherever you go. The power you have seen in Jesus is now in you. So you see in the book of Acts where the first church is born and the disciples are doing things that only can be done in physical temple and physical temples and in the holy tabernacle. So when you look now into the book of Acts, you kind of like shift. So Jesus goes back to heaven and the disciples now start the first church. And all these things are happening. There's baptizing, there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's freedom. And I can only imagine how beautiful that was to witness. But there's something also that's really important. And I used to ask one of my mentors, like, why do we pay so much money for pastors to go to conferences? Because that used to always really confuse me. Like, why do we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this conference to be built so that we can go to a conference and learn how do we build our church? I was like, can't you just, like, read the Bible? And <laughs> this is me just going on tangent. I'm like, can't you just go, to, like, read the Bible and be like, oh, be a loving person and, like, make the church better, a better place? <laughs> And he was just, he's, he's cracking up. He's like, I'll never forget actually what he said. He said, Kelly, even the first and the earliest churches went through struggles of suffering, of grieving, and of difficulties because of human nature. Because you see, in the book of Acts, we see the first church happening. We see all of this beautiful bonding of people. And we see people coming together, giving away everything that they have, and truly communing in this, in this community. But after the first four chapters in Acts, we see people doing things they shouldn't do. Like if you go to Acts chapter 5, like one of the little subtitles in my Bible, it literally says, um, lying to the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh man, that was only like chapter 5, you know? Like we were doing so well up to chapter 5. And then the rest of the New Testament is basically all the mistakes that all the churches were making because we couldn't get ourselves together. And that is just human nature. We all need guidance and continuous growth. And I think that's super important to point out here. We may have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of what was a being and a person to know that was once in Christ, and now he has given to us that we are now tabernacles for him. But as people, I would still say that it's important to still go through seasons of hardship of grieving, of suffering, of doubt, to go through spiritual apathy. And that's okay. Because spiritual, supernatural power and hardships can coexist in a community. Because we're talking about a relationship with a person, a being, the Holy Spirit. 
I used to think that the Holy Spirit was this force that would come, and then once I would like stop believing, it would just leave me. <laughs> but one of the responses that one of the people that answered on Instagram was that the Holy Spirit was a comforter. And when I read that, I was like, oh, like, not like the blanket, right? Like, not like a duvet comforter, but like someone who comforts you. And I was sharing this with one of my friends. And I was like, you know, this person said that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And he was like, I, I agree, but I also disagree. I think the Holy Spirit also makes you uncomfortable. Because when the Holy Spirit guides, it opens your eyes to things that you realize, hey, this is now out of place. Like, why is it that there are injustices in this world? And what do we do with this uncomfortability? What do we do when we see things that are now out of place? And that's a great question that we're actually going to answer next week on my second part of the series. But let me just finish with this. Any of us who accepts Jesus' offer of life by grace is filled with God's spirit. Any of us, any one of us who accepts Jesus' offer of life by grace is now filled with God's spirit exactly as Jesus was. Jesus overturned the sacrificial system of the temple and opened the way into the presence of God for everyone. And it's crazy to think about that we have this power within us. I also love another thing that Taylor Staten said, and he said, the tragedy of our church is that the Holy Spirit has become a familiar stranger. And the holy person is a person to know, not a force to capture. And we simply cannot know about someone if we just read about them. If I were to go on, let's say, Philip's Instagram, you have a beautiful Instagram, Philip, but if I were to go on your Instagram or your wife's Instagram, I would know that you guys are really good at gardening. Um, you have two adorable children that are beautiful, and you have a third one coming, and um, you're really tall. I think that's probably what I would gather from, your, from reading about you. But it takes time to build relationships. It takes time to build intimacy and vulnerability. And there's a certain value of risk in a relationship. And so, knowing that, knowing that the Holy Spirit is someone to know, not a force to capture, what do we do with this? I love what one of my mentors and wise scholars said about the Holy Spirit. When I asked him about his experience with the Holy Spirit, he said, for me, the initiative of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life is a cause of everything that happens spiritually in my life. I firmly believe in what's called the divine initiative, that God makes the first move, takes the first step and towards us, and thus we respond. That is really beautiful, right? Like, God makes this move towards us, and it's up to us to respond to him. So, whether it's getting up early in the morning to spend time with God or reaching out in service to others or asking forgiveness for someone I have wounded, it is all response to the prior work of God on my behalf. And since the Holy Spirit is the active agent in the divine human relationship, the Holy Spirit's work in my life is responsible for anything spiritual in me.
that's beautiful. Like, what a response. Like, what would it look like if we could attune our ears to God's voice so that when he makes the first step toward us, we can respond faithfully? And what does that look like when we make it a regular part of our life? What does it look like right now in your life? I firmly believe that when I respond to God's voice, the clearer his voice becomes so that more it will occur more regularly in my life. There's this one time when I was 18 years old and I was driving past a grocery store and I saw an older woman. She was maybe about 80 years old and she was pushing this walker. And it's really hot outside. It was like 90 or 100 degrees. And I had this like impression, like maybe I should go and like ask her if she wants a ride. But I was 18 years old, so I was scared of the whole world, including this 80-year-old woman. And I was driving this like black Honda Civic SI. It's like black and it's small and it's sporty and it has stick shift. So I was like, I don't know if it's gonna be jerky for her. You know, like I'm thinking of all these excuses, all these reasons why I should not go help this woman. And so finally, there's this thing in me that was like, Kelly, just do it. So then it was probably like a mile down the road. I drove back and I go back and I see that she's already entering like the parking lot. She's like walking so slowly. She's probably like this sweet little lady and she's just going. And I'm thinking like, oh, it's too late. Like I can't go help her anymore. Like she's already at the grocery store. And so I literally just left. And I felt so terrible after that. And that stuck with me for years. I don't know if you guys have stories like that where you're like, I feel like I should have done something good and I just didn't. And so, don't worry guys, it gets better. So then when I was in Seattle, maybe like five years later, um, there's a very similar situation that happened. This older woman was walking, but this time she was on a hill. And if you've ever gone to Seattle, it's very hilly. And so this time I was like, okay, I'm going to ask her because, you know, I'm like ready to do God's work. And so I parked my car and I, just, I didn't want to scare the lady. So I parked my car and I walked up, like kind of like try to be loud about it. So I wasn't like creeping up on her. And I was just like, hey, excuse me, ma'am. Like, do you need help with your groceries? And she turns around and she looks so offended. And she was like, no. <laughs> and then like walked away and I was like, oh, okay. So I got in my car and I was just like, man, like, that was really bad. Like, what could have gone worse, you know? Like, I'm trying to do the Lord's work here, and it's not working for me. But the point is, isn't that people respond differently to me. The point is, is how am I an active agent for God in this community? The point is, is how does the Holy Spirit work in my life, in your life, the same power that Jesus used to heal, to forgive, to love, to care for others, we have that same spirit and power living in us. So what does that look for you? So ever since that day, it has now been tremendously easier for me to continue to ask people for help or to ask people if they need help. It is now tremendously easier for me to reach out to someone and just open the door for them or ask them if they need help. And every day I ask God to just guide me because what can I do as an agent for God in my community? This is essentially what we do with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is an active agent in this divine human relationship 
And if she is a partner with me in my life, what does that look like? And that's what we'll talk about next week in part two. How do we reckon with this powerful and godly and divine, beautiful, mysterious, and loving, perfect being that we have a relationship with? My challenge for you this week is this. Open your eyes to the Holy Spirit because she is someone to know. Ask God to guide your eyes to see what he sees in people. What does it look like for you? Maybe you're in clinic helping patients. Maybe you see someone who's crying in the bathroom. Maybe it's simply opening a door for someone who's struggling to open it because they have a stroller and a, and a baby that they're holding. But you'll notice that the more you seek the Holy Spirit and you attune your ears and your eyes to God, that the, the voice will come clearer and clearer and more often and often. Amen, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening that we have to learn a little bit more about you. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit that dwells, dwelled within you, Lord, that now dwells within us, that we may be able to attune to your voice, and that we may be able to be active agents for you, Heavenly Father. I pray that we will this week get to know the Holy Spirit as a person to know and not a force to be captured. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. In all these things we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.